Good morning. Our scripture reading for today will be taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11, uh, reading from verses 18 through 23. Again, that's Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verses 18 through 23. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, um, you can turn to page 170. It's page 170 in the Pew Bibles. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from, from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. It's my privilege this morning to announce our guest speaker for Family Day, uh, Scott Ballard. Scott is a good friend of mine. He grew up in Middle and West Tennessee. He is a graduate of Freed. Uh, he mentioned to me earlier he didn't know that... Uh, He'd have so many familiar faces in the audience this morning. Uh, he has a B.A. in communication. Uh, he also has a B.S. in education and English. He has taught and coached at Good Pasture Christian School, Jackson Christian School, and Chester County High School, which is in Henderson, Tennessee. Uh, since 2002, he has been in, at Good Pasture uh, coaching football, uh, teaching English and Bible. Uh, I want you all to realize that he is a football coach, and at some point during this lesson, he's going to yell at us. So I want you all to, to be prepared for that. Presently, he's a minister at Birdwell Chapel, and before this, he was the youth minister at Old Hickory Church of Christ. Uh, he is married to Malika. They've been married for 11 years, and they have two beautiful little girls Abby, who is seven, and Allie, who is six, and they're going to be with us at second service this morning. I also wanted to mention uh, Scott's father has been a, the minister of the gospel for many years. He graduated from the Memphis School of Preaching. He preached for several congregations in Michigan and Tennessee, uh, and I think a lot of you are familiar with the Bemis congregation in Jackson. He was over there uh, for, for over 20 years. Uh, without any uh, further ado, I'll let Scott come up. Good morning. What a blessing it is for me to be here. I have been looking forward to this for some time. and uh, As David mentioned, I was surprised at the number of familiar faces. I, I knew there would be good pasture faces here, but I was Surprised to see some, some Freed Hardeman faces, uh, some old Hickory faces, 
so many of you that I've known and loved over the years, and uh, uh, this truly is a family day, um, and to, to celebrate family is, is one of my favorite things. Um, nothing on this earth means more to me than my family, and to know that family is one of those things that God ordained, to know that it's godly to love my family as well makes it so much more special. Um, now, David said that, uh, I may yell at you, at, at Old Hickory years ago, there was a, a little boy that used to come to the, uh, to the football games, and uh, his mother would say, look, there's, there's Coach Ballard. And then at church, she would say to him, well, go say hello to Scott. And he thought for the longest time that Scott and Coach Ballard were two different people. And I told him, they are. They are. Scott is much more lovable than Coach Ballard, and that's who's here with you today. Scott came today. We try to leave Coach Ballard at school and at home, and, and we try not to bring him home very often. My family will be here um, for Sunday school and for the second service. I look forward to you meeting them, simply because you will like me better when you meet them, I promise. Um, they are definitely the better side of me. They uh, they're getting ready this morning and will be here very soon. I didn't do a very good job of, of giving my biographical information to David. Uh, one thing that I forgot is my in-laws. Now, I don't know what it says about your family day guest speaker when he forgets his in-laws. There's probably a sermon there somewhere as well. But um, my father-in-law is um, a missionary uh, in Kenya and has been there I've been in some part of Africa for the better part of 40 years. Um, I understand that you all here support, to some extent, the Timothy Hill Youth Ranch uh, in New York. Uh, Mr. Hill, the father of Timothy, is actually who baptized my father-in-law. So we have that connection together as well. Again, it is so wonderful for me to be here. I I am so happy to to have this opportunity, to honor to be invited And the theme that I've chosen for today is what's right with the family. It doesn't take long to look around and see what's wrong in our society with family. But what I want us to think about is what's right. What is it that's positive about our families? I wonder this morning, which family you most identify with? One of the things I did in preparation for this is I I started thinking about some of the iconic television families that you might relate to. Maybe your family is the family where dad works outside of the home, where mom is a homemaker and you have school-aged children. Maybe your family is one where mom and dad both work outside the home. Maybe even you've been blessed to be a prosperous family and you're making it work even through uh, the the dual uh, careers of mom and dad. Maybe you are a single parent There's my favorite single parent. Maybe you're a single parent trying to raise a child and work, or maybe children even, and work outside the home. More and more we see blended families where there are stepbrothers and stepsisters, a stepmother and a stepfather, again, working to to make their home what God would have it to be. Perhaps you're living with an in-law. There are challenges that go with living with your in-laws, and perhaps you know what that is. Maybe times are hard at your house. 
It could be that with the economy as such as it is, it's, it's difficult to make ends meet, but still there are good times in your home. Maybe you live in a, a family situation where there are no children. Maybe you live in a family situation where there are many children. Maybe you live in a family situation where there are adopted children. Whatever your family situation, it doesn't matter. Maybe your family is just maybe a little bit different from everybody else's family in the neighborhood. Now, I hope you've recognized all of these television families. The beautiful thing is about family is that it doesn't matter what kind of family you are. Families that are together and families that are trying to do what is right have been created by God. God said in Genesis chapter 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He separated the heavens from the earth. He separated the night from the day and he gave each a light to govern it. He separated the land from the water and he created all of the plant life and all of the vegetation He created all the living creatures. He created man in his own image. And man, he looked at us and he created us first. And he looked at us and he said, after having created everything else where he said, this is good, man, he created us and he looked at us and he said, I think I can do better. This is not complete. I need something to go with this man that I have created to make him whole. And so he put us to sleep and from our rib he created woman. And he said, now this is complete. And he told them, be fruitful and multiply. You want to know what's right with the family? What's right with the family is it belongs to God. What's right with the family is it is a creation of God. God invented families. And aren't we thankful? Psalm chapter 68 and verse 6 says, God put the lonely in families. So this morning I ask, what makes a Christian family? Is having a Bible prominent in the home make a Christian family? What about praying at mealtimes and at bedtime? What about going to church? Maybe your family goes to church on a regular basis. Is that what makes a Christian family? Well, certainly all of these things are important. All of these things are necessary. But I suggest this morning that there is much more that is eternally important when we begin to consider what makes a Christian family. I suggest to you this morning that what makes a Christian family is an honest desire to honor God in all that we do. In everything that our family is and that we are about, we honor God. And that spirituality must be the number one goal in our family. I believe there are three things that are staples in every Christian home. The first one is preparation. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 23, which was just read in your hearing a few moments ago, indicates to us, friends, that there is no substitute for education in the Scripture in our homes. If your spiritual education and the spiritual education of your children is left up to the Sunday school, if their education is left up to the preacher or the youth minister or even a Christian school, then I'm afraid they're going to fall short. 
There must be spiritual training in our homes for all who live there. It's vitally important for us as husbands and fathers and grandfathers. It's important for you as wives and mothers and grandmothers. But especially it's important for our children. If our children are to believe that the spiritual training that they receive from these other sources has any validity, they must see it at home constantly. They must see the importance in the life of mom and dad to honor God in our families. There must be preparation. Secondly, I suggest there must be pointing. And by pointing, we mean leadership. Scripture says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians chapter 5. Man, we have been given by God the responsibility to lead our families spiritually. Not to suggest inequality. Those who are enemies of the church will suggest that that the church that Christ died for, that Christ established, would put women in a place that is inferior. That's not what God has done at all. This passage does not suggest inferiority. What this passage suggests is God's plan for what's right in the family. And now the question is, are we courageous enough to live accordingly, men? But what if the husband will not lead spiritually? Well, the Bible deals with that too. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, might be won by the conduct of their wives. Again, God gives a plan for spiritual leadership. And then there's Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. One of the greatest things that we can do for our children is to lead them spiritually. One of the greatest things that we can do is to lead them spiritually by teaching them to obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. I recall just a few years ago, my, my daughter Abby had done something that she knew it wasn't right, and she knew she shouldn't have done, and so we sent her to her room, and she threw the biggest fit, and she was screaming and crying, and so I went upstairs, and I was mad, and I, I, I wanted to, to discipline her, but I was, I was too angry, and so what I did was I, I calmed myself a minute, and I, I made her memorize this passage of Scripture. Now, she doesn't always understand it. She doesn't always obey it, but she knows it, and I think it's important that we teach our children. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. You know what I find interesting about that verse? Children are not commanded to obey parents in order to please parents. We confuse that sometimes. As parents, I, I want to be happy. As, as a father, I want my daughters to obey because I want to be happy. That's not what... Scripture says it all. Scripture says it's important that we lead our children, teaching them to obey because it's pleasing to God. And that is more important. We do not lead properly when we refuse to teach our children to obey. 
with this, our children need to see that God and all things godly are always top priority in our lives. That is so important. Our children need to know that things that are of a spiritual nature are always the first thought in our minds. I know what a sports crazy area of the country this is. I'm a victim of it. I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. And, and, and I'm crazy about sports and I'm crazy about football and I'm crazy about other things. And I see firsthand the, the commitment level it takes to, to play sports at a high level. I, I see sometimes the, 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 the dedication that we make to, to athletics, especially when our children are concerned. But what I know is that we cannot allow these things, the, the, the pushing of our children, whether it's in athletics or even academics or any of the hobbies that we have, we cannot allow these things to even appear for a moment to be more important than godly things. The third thing that I think is a staple in every Christian home is punishment. Now, I, I use the word punishment because it begins with a P and it follows in my outline, but I guess a better word would have been discipline or even self-discipline. There are many things that I would like to do that I know deep down would not be best for my Christian walk. There are things that I would like to do, places I would like to go that, that I know would not benefit my family. And so I recognize that those things are contrary to what God wants me to do. The Apostle Paul experienced the same thing and he had this to say, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Uh, lest when I have preached to others, I myself might be disqualified. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. Friends, I'm of the opinion that we can do more harm than good to the cause of Christ when we are not willing to discipline ourselves to be what God expects us to be. Especially when we're considering our role in the family. Family roles have become so confused in our recent past, in the past few years, roles in the family have become blurred and confused by our society, but not by God. God continues to show us what a husband and a father should be. God still tells us what a wife and a mother should be. God's word continually shows us how children ought to behave and respect and honor their parents. None of that has ever changed in spite of what society says. There is a somewhat different kind of discipline that every Christian home needs. He that spares the rod hates his son, but he that loves him punishes him. The wise man said in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. Again in Proverbs we read, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. In a generation past, Perhaps there was punishment that bordered, maybe even crossed the line into abuse. But the current generation seems to have gone to the other extreme, the other direction. There are professionals who will say that perhaps we are hurting our children psychologically or, or mentally because uh, we physically punish our children. I'm not a, a trained psychologist, but I do know 
what God says. And God says that discipline with our children is essential. To teach them to obey. And after all, it's not about the punishment. It's about holding our children accountable, isn't it? Teaching them what is right and what is wrong. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded them. Jesus said, uh, we see that as the great commission, but doesn't it apply to our children as well? Before I had children of my own, I was a big believer in other people spanking their children. Oh, I was all for it. You know, when, when other people's kids would misbehave, I would say to myself, why don't they just spank those kids and, and straighten them up? And then I had two little girls of my own. And now I'm all about my wife spanking my children. <laughs> and I will confess to you that she is very good at it. Um, and I am not. They look at me with those big blue eyes and I have trouble. That's why when it's my turn to spank, I try not to look them directly in the eye. And I've had to do it and it hurts. But it has to be done. I heard Oklahoma football coach Bob Stoops one time say, behavior is either taught or allowed. Friends, I'm afraid we are allowing our children to behave rather than teaching them to behave. There's one thing that I have heard for many years and I'm experiencing now, and that is we cannot be afraid to let our children be mad at us. Oh, my children are mad at me occasionally. I'll relate to you a little story briefly, if I may. My, my older daughter, Abby, um, she, both girls love to have a story before they go to bed. That's their favorite thing, and, and really they, they sometimes refuse to go to sleep without a story. One night we, we sent Abby to, to bed. We told her, brush your teeth, put away your toys, and put on your pajamas and get in bed, and, and I'll be right there. Well, she played, and she dilly-dallied, and she didn't do what she was supposed to do, and So her punishment for that night was no story. Daddy's not going to tell you a story tonight. Well, she was mad. Now, let me pause there and say, at that time, she was in kindergarten at Good Pasture in the Little Red Schoolhouse. She had Mrs. Wanda Lovell, who many of you know, and she is just a a beautiful lady. And we love her. Our, Our younger daughter has her now. But every night, it was Abby's practice to thank God for Miss Lovell. Now, Put her to bed. No story. She was mad. I said, Abby, say your prayers. She said, I'm mad. I said, I know. Say your prayers. She said, dear God, thank you for this day. Please tell Daddy to tell me a story. Thank you for Miss Lovell. Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was her prayer. She was mad. I told that story to my dad, and my dad said, well, I hope you told her a story to let her know that God answers prayers. Well, she learned that day that sometimes God says no. (laughs) The word discipline comes from a word that means to make a disciple. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. But besides these three things, in order to honor God and our families, in order to make spirituality a goal in our families, there's one other thing that I believe that we need, and that is fellowship. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need each other. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because my spouse is not perfect. She's not. And neither is hers. And I need help remembering that sometimes. You see, forgiveness is the key to honoring God in our marriages. Be kind to one another. 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. I don't know if Paul had in mind marriages when he penned those words through inspiration, but I think it applies, don't you? Husbands, I think that passage about being kind and tender-hearted and forgiving applies to us. I know it applies to the wives. There was some marriage wisdom that was given from a third grader when he advised, become a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take the trash out. Forgiveness is a key to honoring God in our marriage. On the other side of that same coin then is repentance. James says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed in chapter 5 and verse 16. One thing to remember about repentance, and that is past acts are forgivable, not ongoing transgressions. And as I think about my spouse not being perfect, and as I think about her spouse not being perfect, I ask myself the question, why is it so important then to honor my wife? It's important not only for my relationship with her, but honoring my wife is also important For my relationship with God. Peter said this in his first epistle in chapter 3 and verse 7. Husbands dwell with your wives with understanding. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. Listen. That your prayers be not hindered. I honor my wife because I love her. But I also honor her because I want to have that power of prayer. That connection to God. And God says, without that, it's impossible. The second reason why we need each other is because I'm raising children and I need your help. There's nothing more satisfying than to know that there's somebody else who's going through what I'm going through. There's somebody else that's been there. One of the reasons that I like David Minton so much is because he has two beautiful daughters just like I have. And he has a beautiful wife, just like I have. And so when I struggle at home, I can look to him and say, man, you've been there. What did you do? How did you make it? How did you get through this? He's been there. You know, you you have people like that. You are someone like that for someone else. Friends, we need each other because we are raising children. When a Christian parent has a child slam a door in his face in anger or a a child who refuses to, to speak or worse yet yells out, I hate you to a parent. A Christian parent needs to be able to call another Christian parent and say, tell me I'm doing the right thing. Tell me she doesn't really hate me. When a Christian parent has a child make a destructive decision, we need somebody to turn to with a godly perspective that can say, I've been there. You can make it. When a child says, everybody else gets to, or so-and-so's mom and dad let them, I need to know I'm not the only one out there being the bad guy. Friends, we need each other. We need each other also because of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, which says, Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. There's a picture of my children with some of their friends. That's not bad company. I don't want you to go away thinking that. 
But we kept our children. My wife stayed at home with our children for six years apiece because we wanted to instill in them good habits, good morals, good character. But now my kids are in school with your kids and kids just like yours. My wife and I are not the only influence on their lives anymore. I need you. My kids want to fit in. My kids want to have that feeling of acceptance. They want to know that they have friends at school. And I want them to have friends that come from godly homes. I need you. And then this is the hardest one. There are boys. There are boys in our future. I've been praying for a long time for the parents of the boys who are going to come knocking on my door one day to take my most prized possession and put it in a car and drive away. I've been praying for those families. Maybe if you have a young son, maybe I've been praying for you and you don't know it. Most of all, I've been praying for that one boy who will come one day and never go away. That's important to me. That's important to me. This is why we take our children to church camp. This is why we take our children not just to our VBS at Birdwell's Chapel, but this is why we take our children to other VBSs. This is why we take our children to Horizons at Freed Hardeman. This is why we bring our children to family days. This is why we send our children to Christian school. Somebody might say to me, well, Scott, you're, you're sheltering your children. You better believe I am, as long as I can. Because I want them to be shocked when they hear bad language. I want them to be shocked when they encounter sin of, of any kind. And in order for that to happen, friends, I need you. I need you to be the Christian parents that we're trying to be. We're not perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect, but we need each other. A great deal of what they will become will be determined by the people with whom they associate. Parents, we need each other. We need what is right about Christian families. Finally, what is right about the family? It's prayer. I'd like to close our lesson this morning with a story, if I may. There was a shipwreck. There were only two survivors, and they both swam to a deserted island. They agreed that there was nothing left for them to do but pray. And to, to see whose prayer was most effective, they separated. One went to one side of the island. The other man went to the other side of the island. The first man prayed for food. The next day, he saw a fruit-bearing tree on his side of the island. The other side of the island remained barren. After a week, the first man was lonely, and he prayed to God for a wife. The next day, there was another shipwreck, and there was one survivor, and it was a beautiful young lady who swam to his side of the island. On the other side of the island, there was nothing. Soon the first man prayed for a house and for clothes and for more food. And almost like magic, the next day it appeared. The second man had nothing. Finally, the first man prayed for a ship to rescue he and his wife. And the next morning, just like clockwork, there was a ship that he saw approaching his side of the island. He considered the other man unworthy of being rescued, and so the man boarded the ship with his wife and decided to leave the second man on the island. As the ship was about to leave, the first man heard a booming voice from heaven asking, Why are you leaving your companion?
The man answered, my blessings are mine alone, since I was the one who prayed for them. His prayers were all unanswered, and so he does not deserve anything. You are mistaken, the voice rebuked him. He had only one prayer, which I answered. And if it were not for that prayer, you would not have received any of the blessings that you received. Tell me, the first man answered, what did he pray for that I should owe him anything? He prayed that all your prayers would be answered. Friends, for all we know, our blessings are not the fruits of our prayers alone, but those of another praying for us. I hope that you're praying for me and my family. As I pray for you and your family, as we pray together for families across our country to be what is right about the family. What's right with the family? The answer is everything. Everything that brings honor to God and makes spirituality the number one goal in our family lives. It could be this morning that you are not right with God. And everything about your family is not bringing honor to God. It could be that as a father, you're not the spiritual leader you should be. Or as a mother, as a wife, you're not what you know you should be. Or as a child... You're not honoring God by obeying your parents. This morning we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. To anyone who needs to respond to him, whether to put on your Lord in baptism, to know through your study of God's word that you have repented of your sins and you're ready to confess the beautiful name of Jesus Christ before this audience and to be buried with him in baptism. Or if you've done that and you know that you're not honoring God with your life and you're ready to do that again, to renew the commitment that you once made to your first love, then won't you come to Him as together we stand and sing.